The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. God is always present, you know. He is always present. Wherever you are, He is always present. The problem is we don't always recognize Him. We don't always know Him. We can't always feel Him. But He is always present. He has said, I'm always going to be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what He has said. He fulfills his promises. God cannot disobey his word. What he's said is what he will do. But he doesn't always feel like that. I don't know about you, but there are times suddenly you could just walk out of this building and say, well, here's God. We need to humble ourselves and continue to ask him, Lord, make your glory known to me. Help me to know you are here. Help me to understand your presence. Soften my heart. We keep reaching out to him. Let me encourage you during this week, keep reaching out to him. Because he is for you, he's not against you. God is the lover of your soul. We find it hard to take hold of at times. Can he love me? I know myself, I know what I'm like. If he knew me, God has already said, if we think we've come to know him. No, 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 no. You did not choose me, I chose you, is what the Bible says. And I have appointed you to bear fruit. His choice, it wasn't about us choosing him. He has already called us. Because he loves us. And despite all of your sin, despite all of your shortcomings, despite all the things that you know about, that you're wrestling with, God already knows that he still loves. Sure, he doesn't want you to stay in that place. He wants you to move on from that place. But he loves you. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. They have often offended. They have often done wrong. They've often annoyed. They've often let me down. Not too many times. But they have. Do you, over the course of their lives, they've done stuff. I love them. That heart of a father towards his children is the heart of the father towards his children. We mustn't let that escape our minds. He is for us. He is not against us. He loves you. He cares for you. He is wanting good things for you. Even now, if you don't think you're worthy or you're up to it, it's not true. God is for you and he wants to break through in your life. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about confession and repentance. I like to keep things light, you know, around us, basically. Confession and repentance, facts, faith, and feelings. Those are the two sort of major subjects that I want to touch on today. Over this series, this series about practical Christian living, we've been talking about the fact that we have a function in life. We have a function in life. We were created to image God. It's it's like we're mirrors. We should be reflecting all that God is, reflecting off us into the world. That's what we're to be. We're to represent God in the world. It's some responsibility. And we should feel that responsibility in one sense. But it is some responsibility. And it's a responsibility that therefore 
causes us to have the need to keep our eyes on him. We need to keep looking at Jesus. We need to reflect him, so we've got to look at him, so that can sort of almost bounce off us. But we've got to look at him to know what he's like and to get his help so that we can accomplish what he wants us to be. And it means that we want to be living out our lives, or we're called to live out our lives, according to God's will. What he wants done is what we should be doing. As it is in heaven, even so shall it be upon the earth. That's what it's talking about, through us. So us here, we're supposed to be imaging God. We're supposed to be reflecting God. We're supposed to be bringing God's will and the knowledge of God through our lives to this broken world. And to help us to understand what God's will is, if you remember last week, I repeated again a message that Yomi had already given. Thank you for that, Yomi. Saved me a lot of time. Bags, believe, avoid. Believe in God. Avoid sexual impurity. Give thanks in every situation. Submit to earthly authorities. This is the universal will of God. What he wants for everybody. Not everybody. This applies to us all. But in all of those things, we note one thing. We've got to keep our eyes on God. He is the supreme one. He is the one who is above every other. That's his position. And that position is something that the scripture makes clear. Colossians 1, 15 to 18, read like this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that, listen to this, in everything he might have the supremacy. He's number one. He's top of the charts. He is the number one of all time that God may have the supremacy. And of course, Jesus reminds us, for us in our lives, Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So our job is to make sure that God is first. We're supposed to be reflecting God. We're supposed to be putting his kingdom first. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Over the last few weeks, I've also reminded us of this scripture, James. Our friend James, James 4 verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Thank you, James. We're challenged by that verse. Let's be honest, we're all challenged by that verse. And that's because we have the ability to listen to a scripture. Oh yeah, that's right, we need to be doing the right thing. But this is the sort of scripture that comes up with that punch of accountability. It says, oh, so you know what the right thing to do is. Well, are you doing it? You see, that's what that verse does. It says, you know what the right thing to do is. Good. It's good to have knowledge. It's good to have understanding. But then James comes in, whoop. But are you doing what you know is the right thing? Is that the way you're living? And the truth is, when we hear this scripture, we don't like it. Why? Because of that accountability factor. Because no one likes to be pointed out that they've done wrong. It's it's just part of us. We feel uncomfortable. We want to get away with it. But you know what? Conviction, when God comes with the conviction of his Holy Spirit to us... Don't run from that because it is a blessing. When God points out in your heart, no, no, that's not right. 
He's saying to you, now is the time. Let's get this sorted out. Come to me and we can get these things adjusted. We need to repent and we need to understand that we're in the wrong But you know what? If it's never been revealed to us, and this is the the blessing that it is, God reveals to us that we've done wrong, we can repent of it. But if there's no revelation, then we walk around in the ignorance, probably still carrying on in the sins that we have been doing. But that's not what God wants. God doesn't want anyone to perish, he says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. He is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But what does he want? He wants everyone to come to repentance. And that's not just in the fact of that outside there, there are people who know nothing of God and he wants to bring them into repentance. What about us? Are we still walking in ways of sin? You see, that verse applies to us. We need to come to a place of repentance too. We need to come to a place where we are not just confessing our sins, but where we are truly repenting of our sins. So let me talk a little bit about this confession and repentance. What am I talking about here? Confession is often hard to come by because none of us, as I've already said, none of us like admitting that we've done wrong. We want to tend, we have a tendency to keep things hidden. If you have children, you will perfectly understand their lack of desire to admit to everything that they have done wrong. Who ate the biscuits? Did you just hit your brother? Was that you that pushed your sister? These questions that you might be asking of your children. And often the answer is silence. Or sometimes the answer is, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. But rarely, mommy, it was me. Yes, I did it. I'm very sorry. You don't often get to that place. Not without some continued provocation, some deeper questioning, some are you sure's. And you know what I mean? We experience this at home because none of us likes being exposed for what we really are. It's not just you, it's all of us. We want to remain as others seeing us on our best side. We want to show our best face. We None of us want to be uh, our, our worst part of us to be shown up. But if we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we need to act. And the starting place is that we confess Just like with the child, when they finally say, I did it. That's confession. I admit that that, whatever it might be, I did it. I did that wrong. Okay, that's confession. And that's a great place for us to start. And you know what? God is so merciful towards us when we confess like that. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins... If we admit that we actually did those things, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what often happens is that we've confessed our sin. Whoa, here I was in church or when I got home, I confessed my sin. And you know what? I got through the rest of that day trouble-free. In fact, I got through the next day trouble-free and that sin didn't upset me. Two weeks, I haven't done that sin again. But then sort of down the road, we find that we fall into exactly the same pattern of behavior. Exactly the same sin has come upon us. And we're back in that place and we're bringing our confession before God. Well, thankfully, God remains faithful because what does his word say? His word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. But we've already looked at the fact that Peter says that he is patient with us. 2 Peter 3 verse 9, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants to bring us to a place of repentance. Now, sadly, I am fully aware that one, us, don't usually remember whole sermons. It's usually just one word. It's usually just one little phrase. It's usually just something that sticks with you because God uses a message to say, oh, listen, I want to do this bit in your life. So that is honestly the truth. And you know what? For myself, it was years ago, I was attending Biggin Hill Christian Fellowship, and this is probably at least 30, 34 years ago, something like that. Terry Virgo came to speak at the church. I have no idea what his subject was. I've no idea what the topic of that sermon was. I guess he was preaching about repentance or something along the lines of what I'm talking about today. But I remember him saying this, real repentance is never doing that thing again. Now, just that phrase, that's it. I remember that from 34 years ago. God spoke that into my heart. I remember real repentance. If we're talking about sin and actually confessing sin but walking away from sin, when you get to the place of real repentance, that is this. That is never doing that sin again. That is what it really looks like. So when we repent... We've got to a place where we're saying, That's, okay, Lord, I'm never going. It's not that my desire is I'll never go back there. You've come to a place where it's like, that's it. I'm now trusting you, Lord, completely that you are going to let me live completely differently from here. And indeed, you go on and live differently. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And not that I know hardly any Greek, that's not the point. But what it means is, is to have a change of thinking. And for us to actually change our actions, our behavior, then that all starts back with how we think. And so there has to be a change in our thinking. It's not just like, I hope I don't do that sin again. It's like, there's, no, no, I'm not going that way. That desire, that hope, that dream, whatever it was that was driving me towards those sins, that has gone. I've given it up. And there will be examples in each of our lives where there are things that you've prayed for, and it's like, whoa. That, I used to do that. I used to swear. I used to smoke. I used to do this. I used to do that. And that's gone. from my, I don't do that anymore. And yet there are also other things. And that's an example of, of real repentance in your life. But there are also other things where you say, yeah, yeah, I've confessed that. I've confessed that. I've confessed that. I've confessed I've confessed. And you've gone round and round in a circle. If we find there are things that we are continually walking in, then it's not just that we, certainly we continue to confess our sin because he is gracious, just and gracious to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. But we want to ask him, Lord, what is really the root of this? What's causing me to want to hold on to something? Help me to come to a place of repentance so that there may be transformation. We don't just want to go in this place of sin Confess, sin, confess. We want to move from confession to a place of repentance. Because true repentance brings transformed lives. That's the point. 
Okay, that's confession and repentance. Now let's look at the second point, and they're not too long. Facts, faith, and feelings. Facts, faith, and feelings. As Christians, our instruction is to live by faith, not by feelings, not by our emotions. Romans 1 verse 17 says, the righteous will live by faith. But we're all aware of, I'm quite sure we're aware, of our feelings, of our emotions, because they're so much part of our everyday life. But they need to be handled with care. Why do I say that? That's because our emotions can actually give us false information. Our feelings can drive us with false information. And that's not just me saying that as a Christian and wanted to preach to you. Listen, you've got to be careful of your feelings. They're not necessarily giving you the right signals. So therefore, you need to watch out. This is something that psychologists would teach as well. Paul Fargard, who is a PhD, he was writing for Philosophy Today under the subject of feelings can deliver misleading information. And he writes in that article these things. Anxiety and fear, he says, are useful when they alert people to dangerous situations such as pandemics. But, that is, anxiety and fear can be debilitating when false beliefs and physical overreactions generate phobias that limit people's lives. He writes that anger, anger sometimes works as a signal that someone has blocked your important goals, and it does. But it can also be an impediment to resolving important issues. I'm so angry with that person. You can't forgive them. You see, it's a blockage. Sadness often valuably points out real losses. But it can descend into severe depression that fails to recognize that life still has no value and hope. This is a psychologist just telling us about our human bodies. And finally, he says, happiness usually signals that one's vital needs are being satisfied. But it can be bogus and perilous when derived from drugs such as cocaine, amphetamines, or alcohol. In other words, I'm happy because I'm taking these drugs. No, no, whoa, whoa. We've got to look beyond just the how we feel. That's because emotions can deliver misleading information. This doctor goes on to say, to convert feeling-based misinformation into reliable information, one must, consciously, one must think consciously about whether the information was derived from a reliable process. That's what the psychologists tell us. The Bible, therefore, is just really ahead of that and is underlining to us we need to be taking hold of a reliable process. The Bible says you need to live by faith. You need to take hold of the things that God is saying and what he is teaching us and take hold of that because that is going to help you hold on to truth. And it's going to help you to adjust your feelings. So we as Christians, we don't need to completely overlook our feelings. That's not what we're saying. But we need them to be anchored in truth, and we need our feelings to be directed by our faith, not the other way around. We don't want to be directed by our feelings alone. So we've got facts, we've got faith, and we've got feelings. Faith is not believing in nothing, 
It's believing in truth. And truth is true. You don't have to believe it, but it still is true. Truth is true, even if you don't believe it. For example, we take the truth, God is real. But some people say, well, I can't see him, I don't experience him, so therefore, that's not true. Therefore, God doesn't exist. But it doesn't mean to say that just because that's what they feel, it means that God doesn't exist just because they don't believe in him. Truth is true and will be proved to be true in time, even if you don't believe it. Saying, But saying that we believe in God isn't just abstract either. It's not just abstract faith, because it's faith that is based on evidence. So when we say we believe in God, there's an evidential side to that position of faith. For instance, creation itself is being one example. Creation is declaring that there is a God. Our ability with inside of us to know right or wrong is declaring, well, hang on a second, where did that come from? How come I know what is right and wrong? How come I have those feelings like, ooh, I feel uncomfortable here? How come? That's because God is real and he has taught us those things. And even the order and the precision that we observe in the universe around us, again, it's helping to add weight to the evidence of our belief that we're saying that God is real. So when it comes to believing God is real, our faith is not abstract, but rather it's anchored on substantial, logical evidence. So practical Christian living should look like this. It should look like feelings. Feelings need to take, facts need to take the lead. Facts need to take the lead. Faith then is shown the way and feelings can then follow on behind. Facts need to lead the way so that faith can know which way it's going. That's what the fact is. Now I'm putting my faith in that and faith is following. And then we can say, hey, feelings, you can come along behind us. We're getting our feelings in order. Otherwise, our feelings, as that psychologist can say, was saying, can actually take over and drive us into a wrong place. That is practical Christian living. Now, let me give you an example from Paul's life. God said to Paul, and we were looking at this a few weeks back, Acts 23, verse 11, take courage, he said. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. God had spoken to Paul to say, you're going to Rome. You're going to make it. Because I've got work for you to do, you're going to testify about me in Rome. Now, some two years after that event is when we read of what we are talking about a few weeks ago, the storm, where there in Acts 27, Paul was on a ship, he's going to Rome, but that ship went into a storm, a storm that lasted two weeks, a storm where the boat was getting wrecked and everything was being thrown off the boat, because the, and they thought, well, it says that everybody gave up hope that they were going to remain alive. And eventually, of course, the boat hits the sandbar and it gets broken up, but every or whole crew gets saved because they, they make it through the water to safely to shore. And so they survived. God spoke to Paul. That was the fact that he was laying hold of. Paul trusted in what God had said to him. You are going to Rome and you're going to testify about me there. God 
Paul trusted in what God had said. That was his faith. He'd looked at the facts of what God had said. He'd activated his faith and said, God has said this, therefore I am believing what God has said to be true. Now, let's look at Paul's feelings. Because if I was Paul, okay, yeah, God, you've said it, I'm going there, but I'm in the midst of a storm. My goodness, this storm looks bad. The sailors, the other people are telling me how bad this is. Other people who know about storms, they're giving up hope. You see, you've got to get your feelings in line. Feelings, it's time for you to calm down because we're going to hold on to the Word of God. We're going to trust in what God has said to be true. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There's a truth of God. But you see, we have to activate our faith. I have to believe of what he said. Hang on, I'm in the midst of a storm. It doesn't feel like God's here at all. He's abandoned me. Whoa, calm your feelings down. We have to come back by faith to hold on to God's truth to bring our feelings into line. Feelings want to get out and get loose. But we have to say to them, no, 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 no. Now, Paul, he got his feelings into line. I'm sure that he went through struggles. Not, you know, he was a human being. Oh, this is the Apostle Paul. He can do no wrong. No, he was a human being who trusted in God, who was having to deal with things like you and me. That's the truth. But Paul came to that point and said, okay, my feelings, you are getting in order because I'm trusting in what God has said. Despite the storm, we're going to Rome. And there comes that point where God sends his angel to encourage him. Which says to me, there must have been some moments of some severe struggle in that event for Paul. But Acts 27 verse 25, Paul stands up before all the other crew and says, So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. He was anchoring himself on what God has said. Living by faith is not about living in emptiness, but it's rather choosing to trust in what God has said to be true and living your life along those lines. It's holding on to what God has said steadfastly and bringing our feelings into alignment. Faith needs to look to facts to be strong and steadfast. Feelings need to come in line with faith. Feelings are an indicator to us that something is going on inside of us, but they need educating, and sometimes they need completely ignoring. Let me give you an example. Transport for London. Transport for London. I read this. The speed limit, it says, on 65 kilometers of roads in London will drop from 30 miles an hour to 20 miles an hour as part of TfL's plan to reduce fatal road crashes. Some of those reductions, I have read, are taking place in the borough of Bromley. I find in my local high street in West Wickham, that is one example where it's now gone to 20 miles an hour. TfL say... We're lowering speed limits because if you hit someone at 30 miles an hour, they are five times more likely to die than if you hit them at 20 miles an hour. 
TFL also say that the early indications, as far as they're concerned, show a significant reduction in crashes since the 20 mile an hour speed limit was introduced to roads during the, in the congestion zone in 2020. So in other words, we've done this for a period of time, this is our evidence, now we're rolling it out further, and these are the reasons. Now, it's facts, okay? That's the facts of the situation. My feelings surrounding this. Emotionally, I felt fairly stirred about this. It seems to me to be quite slow at 30 miles an hour, and suddenly, when there's no traffic around, and you're going down a high street, and now where you used to drive at 30, you're now being asked to drive at 20, it sort of like irks you. It irks me, sorry, I should say it like that. And it sort of takes more concentration. It's almost like it's harder to drive more slowly. And so therefore, it causes me, or it has caused me, to feel slightly frustrated. But, hang on, I thought, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to be allowing my emotions to control my life. I need to get my feelings, faith, and facts in the right order, don't I? I was telling myself. So what are the facts? Well, I'm not going on about the facts. TFL have presented the facts of the situation in terms of why they're doing it. But what are the facts as far as me as a Christian is concerned? Well, we looked at God's universal will and what God wants us to do. And in that, God has said, I want all of you to submit to earthly authorities and to do good. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's God's truth. So this is the fact that I'm supposed to be following along with other truths like God loves us and cares for us and has a plan for us, yes. These are the facts. Faith says God knows best. I choose to trust in what he has said. Feelings, what's happening with them? Well, feelings are all over the place, aren't they? Feelings are still shouting, this is ridiculous. Don't you realize this is going to slow me down? Don't you realize this is going to make my journey times longer? I haven't got time for this. This is interfering with my life. Feelings are running riot. But remember that feelings are not facts. They're just emotions. They're just feelings. And it's only when I start to add into the truth that I'm seeking to hold on to, which is God's universal will, that I need to be subject to all earthly authorities, as long as they're not telling me to go against what God wants, which in this case they're certainly not. And I also read in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again, I start to have to get things in order. Here I see that my feelings need to be brought into alignment with what God has said. My faith needs to follow on to what God has said is true. My Christian life is not my own so that I can go around dictating the terms. Don't you understand how frustrating it is for me? Why should my journey times take so much longer? What's all this rubbish about West Wickham High Street and 20 to 30 to 20 and all that sort of stuff? Don't you realize that I'm being inconvenienced? Don't you realize, Jonathan, your life does not belong to you. You are under the authority of God. You are supposed to be putting your faith in him. 
You're supposed to be listening to what he says is truth. You're supposed to be aligning your faith to that truth. And you're supposed to be bringing those feelings, which seem to be controlling you and causing you to act in a certain way under control because they need to follow on in line. It's facts first, faith following on behind, with feelings taking their place last. That is how it's supposed to be. So the facts are God's will, God's word, God's truth. That's what I need to be led by. So that my faith can be shown the way to go. And then my feelings can catch up behind. So just to summarize for us about practical Christian living and what we've been looking at today. We want to seek to move in our lives from a place of just confessing. We, it's great that we confess our sins and we want to get to that point of confession because God is just and forgives us. There's cleansing happens when we confess. But we want to move from confession to repentance so that we can seek to know transformation in our spiritual lives and our daily lives. And then we want to start to educate our emotions so that our faith, being strengthened by looking at the facts can work to bring our feelings into line. Amen? So practical work for all of us, and obviously that includes me. I'm going through it as well. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning, or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.